Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to the land of Israel Network. Great shows, uh, a great connection to the land of Israel. And Shalom, and welcome to Malka Fleischer. How are you? I am well, Ishai. Thanks for having me back. Yes, it's been a little bit hard to get back to, uh, to normality and civilization after a great Pesach vacation. And you and I were at Neve Ilan. Uh, I was the kind of uh, scholar in residence for the Eddie's Travel Kosher Group, Eddie's Travel Kosher Travelers. That was a lot of fun, and uh, all good things come to an end. Pesach was awesome, but we keep going now with an amazing period called the Sfirat HaOmer, which is the 50-day count from Passover till Shavuot. And in this uh, calendar period, where it's really a period of repentance and growth, we are also... Uh, visited by these incredible holidays of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and all that's and, and the costs around that as well, including today, Holocaust right. Day. And we're going to be celebrating uh, next week Israel Memorial Day, then Israel Independence Day. Later on, it's going to be uh, the new month of ER. And then we're going to have Jerusalem Day. We're going to have a Pesach, first Pesach Sheni, then Jerusalem Day. We have all these holidays that are really, and then Lag Omer. They're all woven into the pattern, really, of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. But we have to take a pause today and think a little bit about the Holocaust. Malka, uh, both, well, from your family, for sure, are all Holocaust survivors. Right. My family, they kind of ran away from the Holocaust towards uh, Russia and Poland. A lot of the family was killed in the Holocaust, but they, but my my forefathers, my what do you call them, predecessors, 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 uh, they they made ancestors. it ancestors. They made it out alive, obviously. Uh, but we're going to be playing on the show today an excerpt from from an interview I did with your grandfather, Mike Bernath, who survived Auschwitz and really horrors of the Holocaust. And you'll really get a, a first-hand account. And the reason I'm playing uh, that interview is that uh, Mike Bernath, your grandfather, passed away this year. That's right. And therefore, he's he's not with us anymore. And people are talking about the fact that these Holocaust survivors are are leaving the world, and their their testimony is being kind of uh, you know it's, it's it's being recorded as much as possible. But the bottom line is the first-hand witnesses are are leaving this uh, this world. And so you'll hear from Mike Brandt, who just passed away this year. I'm still saying Kaddish for him myself. Um, so, so that's you know, and that's that's Holocaust Memorial Day. You have some news stories about that that uh, that shed a little well, bit of light about how we should look at the the Holocaust. Today. Right. I mean, there are, there are a few things. One, if you're living in the United States, I just read an article that said that the U.S. House of Representatives is possibly passing a bill that would increase Holocaust education funding in America, which I thought was interesting. But another article that I read today said that even though the Jewish people have done a quite a good job, really, of um, rebounding, I guess, from the horrors of what they went through and the, the massive uh, systemic murder of the Jewish people, we're still not back. The Jewish people are not uh, recovered demographically from where they were in 1939 on the eve of the Holocaust. Um, the Jewish population in the world, it turns out, according to a, a report that just went out by the Israel Central Bureau of Statistics, is that our numbers are somewhere around where they were in 1922. Um Israel's Jewish population has skyrocketed. In 1948, it was 650,000 people. And now we're just under 6,500,000 people, which means that Israel's 
uh, Jewish population has grown by a whole bunch. Tenfold. Ten, ten times, basically. Right. Whereas the rest of the world's Jewish population has shrunk. Um, I think that the, prior to the Holocaust, there were something like 10 million Jews around the world. Granted, many of these Jews are in places like Poland, Hungary, right? Those Jews were murdered. Um, but now the, the world Jewish population... I think is somewhere around 8 million. Does that number work out? I think that number... You mean the, the outside of Israel? Outside of Israel right. is around 8 million people. That's right. Right. So the about world Jewish population has shrunk. Or five in America and three in the world, something like that. Right. In America, there's about five. I, 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 the report I read, I did the math. Israel has more Jews than America by almost 750,000 people. Right. So you can do the reverse But math. the truth is nobody really, really knows. You don't know exactly what, and what is a Jew and right. all we don't these know, things. In America, we don't know. And around the world. Here in Israel, we do know. We have a, right. we have we a have, very that's tight... Very, it's a, it's a, it's very a, strict uh, definition of what is considered a Jew. Right. And, and everybody has a number <laughs> on today's Holocaust Day. We, are, we have identity cards as Israelis, and it says if you're Jewish or not. Uh, so what you're basically saying is that, is that the Jewish people have not returned to their full strength yet, right. that pre-World War II strength. You know, Malka, um, we were just interrupted by the actual Holocaust uh, sirens, two-minute sirens here on Holocaust Memorial Day. And as we were standing here in our living room, I looked over at Neve Daniel, and I saw this big Jewish town. And, and to me, this is like, that was the victory of the Holocaust. I saw certainly the people murdered in my mind's eye. But I also saw this incredible rebirth right across the street. And that's what I told the kids this morning as I dropped them off in school. I said to them, whatever you learned today about Holocaust Day and the memory of, of, the, of those communities and the six million, know that you yourselves are the victory. The fact that there's Jewish kids in Jewish schools in the land of Israel, that is the victory. You are, you are to us the victory. And we may not be the survivor's generation, but what we are is the bridge between the survivor's generation and the generation that like has, you know, that, that is already the, the in the land growing normalized generation. Right. We're like a bridge between them. So we get to see the, your grandfather uh, survive, thrive, pass away. We see ourselves kind of struggling to make it here in the land of Israel. And we see the next generation already being rooted in, in, the, in the startup nation right. with uh, technology and, you know, uh, available, you know, free religious expression and security and all those things. Okay. So that's, that's, that's really powerful stuff. And you're going to hear more of that. And you're going to hear even, uh, you know, if you know Malka, you'll just hear her grandfather and you kind of see where she's coming from. A very powerful interview that'll be later on on the show. Um, but we do have to take a minute here and realize that it's the way I just portrayed it as though I'm looking over at uh, the community of Neve Daniel or the children's school and everything's honky-dory, the victory has been won. Far from it, the attack and the same tactics of attack are still with us today. And I gave a tour yesterday to a group in, in Hebron and there were a, a lot of folks who were anti-Israel or, or you could call it left-leaning or whatever you want. But the bottom line is that they were like, you guys are the abusers. You guys are the occupiers. We saw the video, right? We saw a video of a soldier cheering when he shot a bad guy. We saw a video of, of a, of a, of an, uh, of a well, they didn't say the word terrorist. They'll say an activist uh, running away from, from the IDF and then getting shot in the back. You got, and that proves it. You guys are killers. You guys are murderers. 
you guys are the bad guys. And I'm like, are you, are you joking with me? Do you not know who Hamas is? Do you not know what they stand for? Don't you know their tactics? Don't, aren't you familiar with this, with this narrative warfare, which, by the way, is what Hamas is doing? coming to the conclusion that they cannot beat us in straight warfare, they have just completely turned... What is this whole thing about sending people against the fence? It's all narrative warfare. It has nothing to do with real warfare, right? These people are not really going to be a, a existential threat for Israel. They're but not they an existential threat, although I did read a report, Ishai, that said that Hamas is trying to use the chaos that happens at a riot in order to plant bombs and different things around the border fence because it's very hard to watch everybody all the time. So you're right that it's probably not going to mean like Hanin Zuabi hopes, Minister of Knesset Hanin Zuabi of one of the Arab parties hopes She's not that... a minister. Uh, sorry, Knesset, Knesset member, excuse me. That that, uh, you know, a million Palestinians will march on Jerusalem as a result of these Gaza uh, marches, riots, what Uprisings. demonstrations, whatever you call it. Um, that's not going to happen. But what could happen is a protracted attack on Israeli soldiers, which will injure and which will injure and which will injure, which is also very bad. So the 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 continuing attack against Israel is very much with us. And you have people and one of the guys that was on the tour yesterday was like an Israeli. He was an American who moved to Israel 40 years ago and is now the head of Sulcha, which is an, you know, like one of these NGOs, these new Israel fund funded NGOs, and uh, was just giving me a really hard time about, I was like, dude, we've been here for 3,800 years. Dude, we're an ethnic state trying to defend ourselves. And he just wouldn't have any of it. In his mind, we're foreigners and we have a democratic state where we have to give anybody superior rights if they can just outnumber us and basically he's working for them outnumbering us so what can i tell you uh, you know holocaust day it reminds me of last year's uh, jerusalem day right do you remember last year's jerusalem day i'll never forget my jerusalem day of 2017 right in the morning, I went to the Temple Mount and got kicked off. That was awesome. You put up a great video. You should yeah. restore that video next to Jerusalem. That's a good idea. Thank you. Thank yes. you. That's coming right up. So that was that was. La and then you and I went to an event. We drove through an Arab neighborhood at night, and a rock was thrown at our window. We had rockproof windows, but it left a, a nick, which means it was in in this plexiglass, which means it was a super strong, and it was exactly where your head was. That's right. And that was like my Yom Yerushalayim. My Yom Yerushalayim was getting booted off the Temple Mount and, and almost getting, you know, my wife killed in, a, in, in, a, in an Arab neighborhood of Jerusalem. And realizing, and I'm thankful that I get to realize this, that the work is not done. There is so much work yet to go. And that's, that's something which, which I think is very important about. That, that's, that's the whole thing that people miss so, so many times. Holocaust Day does not mean we remember the six million. We remember the six million, what they fought for and what they died for, and continue to fight for that. We don't allow. We, the, the whole messer, the whole message, uh, messer is the Hebrew word for message. The whole message is never again. Don't allow this to happen again. Okay, right. It's not about Germans per se. Right. Meaning to say Germany in my opinion, has not come close to making up for what it did to the Jewish people. But it has to do with Germany, right? And it has to do with noticing that they did something really bad to particular Jews who have names and here are their names, right? But at the same time, it's like there can be other versions of the same thing. In fact, Israeli security officials just met yesterday, uh, all the top-level security officials, because President of the United States, Donald Trump, has said that he's going to be bombing Syria, and Israel wants to prepare itself for a possible retaliation by Syria, 
and by Iran, Syria's benefactor, and possibly even by Russia. Um, so Israel, you know, we're doing great. And like we said, we're, we have 10 times more people than we did before. And if you want to be a Jew somewhere on earth, definitely do it in Israel. That's my vote. At the same time, Israel is very much uh, living under existential threat, um, real credible threat. And we, we talk about it on a weekly, if not daily, if not hourly basis. Right, Malka. You know, it, it's like a yo-yo. It's like a yo-yo of emotions. And that's, it's, it's in part calculated. To be a yo-yo of emotions, Holocaust Day, Memorial Day, then Israel Independence Day. It's like it was it was created as a kind of way that to to highlight the um, the complexity of it and the duality of it, right? And the interwovenness of the it. The interwovenness of it. That's right. And this show today has that element as well. It's going to have uh, my interview with your grandfather, but also we're going to have something that is, I guess, uh, a non sequitur. But if you believe in the interwovenness of what we're talking about, it makes a lot of sense. And that is that uh, over the Pesach uh, holiday, pilgrimage and break, <laughs> uh, you and I got to also pilgrimage up to, uh, with the kids, up to uh, one of the famous beaches of Israel, Chof Dor, the Dor Beach or Nachsholim Beach. And there we, we dove for snails, right? We we uh, we went but snail hunting. But not just hunting. any snails. Not just any snails, but the snails that yield the trelet blue dye, or the component for the uh, trelet blue dye. And we made trelet um, at the beach there, and we learned about it. We watched the movie, and we we ourselves kind of got into the true blue Jew <laughs> um, way of doing things. And there's an interview on the show with Moise Navon. Oh, nice. Yeah, Rabbi Moise Navon, who is. Uh, uh, actually a computer chip designer, but in his spare time, he is a Tehelet aficionado. Enthusiast. enthusiast. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk with him uh, right up next. Amaka, I want to wish you a um, meaningful Holocaust Memorial Thank Day. You. May may uh, May we see all the good things in the fact that we're raising our children here in this land, ba- basically sticking it to Hitler. Right. right? You know, uh, you said that you, what you were thinking about during the siren. That's what I'm like. Right. Uh, and I, during the siren, we paused during the siren. That's why you didn't hear it. Um, but I, during the, the, the siren, was really trying to just like channel, kind of. That's not the right word, but like connect in some way to all the souls of all those people in my family who were killed. And just be like, look at me. You know what I mean? I hope I'm making you proud. Um, I'm not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but like I'm trying to do my thing and and there's a, there's a representative of you here and and you know on an even deeper level if you want to go there like maybe my soul is a soul that passed away in the Holocaust and like God please let this soul you know do great things that, that it didn't have the chance to do before. All right, Malka Fleischer, thank you so much. Let's now first tune in to uh, my interview with Moise Navon of the Trellet Folks. This was uh, live and on the ground, and this has been after I had just been in the cold waters of the Mediterranean, yet to be warmed by the summer sun, and uh, we found the snails. We found the snails, and we-, we And they are cute. They are. Well, uh, you know, they are- They're snaily, they're s- but they're beautiful. They're beautiful. The shells are beautiful, certainly, and, and it's, it's an incredible process, and there's something in all about the, in all this issue of the, of Tchelet of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and God's revelation, he's given us our color back, our color is returning. <laughs> All right, folks, stay tuned. Here's Moise Navon on the beach at Nachsholim Chof Dor in northern Israel. 
All right, folks, I am enjoying Pesach vacation here. And uh, you know that we always have to find something to do with the family on Pesach vacation. We got to get out to the land and see it. And for many years, I've wanted to take the Tchelet tour. Now, you've heard on my program on the Yishai Fleischer Show, we talk about Tchelet so often. It's one of the things I promote, right? Tchelet.com, T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T.com. And for so many years, I've wanted to do the tour where you actually get in the water and look for the trunk, Murex trunkalized snail. Am I going to find that snail? Am I going to find that little gland that you you take take off and and that will become the the Tchelet, what we call on this show, the true blue Jew is that really going to happen well we we finally did the tour and I'm out here right now in Chofdor a very ancient place a place that was the Phoenicians occupied at some point uh, what 4,000 years ago Uh, and I'm here with a group of people that all came with their children to snorkel look for the snail and also get an explanation from one of the world experts in this field, uh, Rabbi Moise Navon. Now, in his uh, Moise, right? It's like Moshe, but it's a different way of saying it. Maybe it's a French thing. Yeah. But the, the bottom line is that Moise, his day job is that he's a chip designer. Okay, many of the chips that you use in your life, he's designed. So he's a high-tech guy. But instead of that kind of high-tech, which Israel is also famous for, we're talking about a technology which is ancient, in, a, in many ways was secretive, kept by few families, kept on the knowledge that was not shared by many because it was highly revealed and 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 uh, and uh, and obsessed over and wanted uh, Moise, thank you so much for taking uh, so many people, 70 people today, uh, to in, in the water and also showing us the whole process of the dye today. Uh, it was it went very fast, not at a snail's pace at all, right? Uh, but I, I wanted to, 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 you know, to talk a little bit about, about this, this process. Uh, first thing, tell me a little bit about, about the, 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 the star of the show. You were the star today. You were great. But there was another star, and that's the snail itself. Uh, tell me a little bit about the snail. Is it a rare snail? Is it a not rare snail? Uh, it, it, is it something that, that can be found? Did we actually find the real thing today? Okay, so it's a good question. I mean, definitely the, the Chilazon, people think that it's very rare that because there's a Gemara that talks about it coming up once in 70 years, so you think they're never going to find it. Really, as I mentioned to the group today, once in 70 years is really an expression that means once in a lifetime, it washes up on the sand and you can collect them and make them for free. But otherwise, they live in the Mediterranean. They live all over the Mediterranean. They're in abundance, um, basically on all the shores. The northern coast of Israel was famous for for them being fished out, as you mentioned, by the Phoenicians and later by Shevet Zvulun. Um, They live everywhere in the Mediterranean. The, in the Europe, they eat them. We actually get them from European fishermen uh, because we're not allowed to take them off the coast of Israel. And that's how we get our dye. Um, in terms of them, of, of our of our being sure if this is really the right thing, is this just another snail? Um, we're very sure. We know that there's basically a family of snails. There's Murex trunculus, Murex brandaris, and Thais hemostoma. All these three snails were discovered in the 1800s by a French zoologist named Henri Lacazdutier. And this you can find in any encyclopedia or Wikipedia or whatever it is. Um, everybody knows that these are the snails that were being used to make blue and purple dye in ancient times. Um, the reason that we're so sure about about this is as another thing that I mentioned is that the, the color that comes from it is exactly the color that the Gemara mentions is the, the same color as the indigo fera tinctoria plant, the indigo plant, and those are really the two sources of ancient blue. There were no other blue dyes in the ancient world. So that's really why we believe that this is the right stuff. Okay, so there's there's an element of this story which is about finding 
it's a, it's a chemical story. It's a biological story. And then there's also a religious story in this whole thing, right? Uh, and there's also a, should I say, cultural uh, kind of moment or, or redemptive moment. I, I want to I kind of not overstate the case, but at the same time explain that, 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 that the Tchelet has an element of, there's something about it which is also about the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. There's, there, there's a relation to that. So let's just, uh, let's just break it down a little bit. Um, I, was, I wanted to tell you something. Yesterday I was in the Old City and I saw a flyer. The flyer on the floor was had a man who was obviously dressed as a Haredi, black-hatted man, and he was holding in his hand the trailer string, and I wanted to bring it to you today, but mm. in, the, in the rush it was lost. And basically, it was a seminar for the ultra-Orthodox mm-hmm. in their branding right. uh, to get uh, people interested in trailer. Correct. Uh, so there's an element of, of, of this thing as though... Here's a question. When something is lost, can it be brought back again in Judaism? Right? And is that is that part of the psychology of the issue behind this thing? Absolutely. I mean, look, there's a there's a difficulty in bringing things back that don't have a masora, that don't have some kind of father-to-son, mouth-to-ear kind of, of transmission. And that's been one of the things that's held this back in the, in the more traditional circles, let's say. You know, like in the modern Orthodox world at YU and Datilumi, Hezder Yeshivas, they've been more accepting because they've looked into the science, they've looked in the archaeology, like you said, all these different scientific things have shown us that we really have the right stuff. But the more traditional circles, like you mentioned, the Haredi world is looking more for things like Masora, and we don't have a Masora because this was completely lost to the Jewish people. It was lost to the world, really, for at least 1,300 years, according to Rav Herzog. So, yeah, there's, there's now slowly becoming an acceptance that we can use evidence, and really Rav Tversky wrote about this a long time ago in a, in a um, article in Journal of Halakha, and he said, Masora, if you look at it, is really one of the ways to be koveya halakha, to fix what we know halakhically, and you can use things like umdana, which means circumstantial evidence, which is what we have, and now the, the Haredim are beginning to realize that, and they're beginning to see the weight of the evidence, and so we've been hearing in New York and in Israel, there have been seminars where there are black hat rabbis and black hat communities which are really talking this up. And so, yeah, it's definitely, seems like there's some kind of critical mass. I mean, over the years, there have been black hats that wear the seat seat in, but now it's becoming um, more accepted, let's say. Here in Chovdor, the uh, beach uh, at Dor, it's also known as Nachsholim, there have been found vats with broken shells and also dye vats with a kind of purplish color uh, around the rim so you know that that's where it's been done. So explain that to me. This, This process that we're doing today was done at this very place even before the Jewish people were here, by the correct. Phoenicians, who yeah. you said yeah. were the people were known as the purple people? Correct, correct. So, I mean, in Hofdor, um, they found on Teldor, they found dye pits. Basically, these... these ancient vat kind of structures in the dirt and along the sides of it it had this snail the murex trunculus die um, along it um, in terms of the actual process we do it a little bit differently like you got to see the group got to see today is that we use a chemical that does reduction that basically breaks down the dye in order to allow it to go in the wool that's really the key element of this to dye bond process. with the wool exactly so this is the, that's sort of the key element of the process is how do you get you know you can squeeze bugs you can you can boil up um onions you can use coffee they use all kinds of ways to try and stain garments but to really make something go into the wool 
you need some kind of chemical process and that chemical process is reduction. We did it with a fancy chemical today. In the ancient times, basically, they, they simmered the meat for a week and they caused this reduction. And that's basically the process that they did then is exactly the same process that we did now, just in a shorter amount of time. That actually made me very happy when, when I learned that the rest of the snail was used because what's, what's kind of shocking, and my wife was shocked, I knew about this because I actually read the book, The Rarest Blue, which was written by your colleague, uh, Dr. Baruch Sturman, which, by the way, which was an excellent book. I must say the book itself was an excellent book, and I actually uh, very highly recommend it, but um, what was shocking to my wife, which I already knew, is that the gland that makes that dye is a very small part of that little snail. Correct. So then you chop off that little gland, and even that gland has two different liquids that have to mix together at the right time, not too late, and then it you know, makes that, 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 the, the dye stuff. Uh, but then you're like, oh my God, what are we, cracking a whole, you know, killing a whole snail? And this is not just a circumcision of the snail. It doesn't <laughs> keep going. This snail dies from this process, right? So tell me, so tell me a little bit about about like the past, how we how we uh, used the full snail, and that didn't kind of go to waste. And also, and also, uh, just more second, folks. I'll, we'll get back to you in one sec. No, you can walk in. I just want to finish my interview here with uh, with one of the great experts in trellet. Uh, but tell me uh, a little bit about how we use the full snail in the past and how we use the full snail today. Okay, so basically, I mean, the way they used it in the past is that they didn't know that in the hypobranchial gland was exactly the dye. They knew that you get dye out of this stuff. They would take the whole snail, smash it up, crush it up, and basically get the dye stuff when they would boil all the meat together. Today, we... Uh Exactly. So today, we know that it's just this gland that we need. And so we go to the fishermen, we have them cut the gland out, and then they eat the meat. Basically, you know, these snails are eaten all over Europe. You know, I was in Europe and in Paris, and there was all kinds of baskets and seafood markets and it says murex and you see it's exactly our snails so basically you can pay 165 shekels and wear them or you can pay 165 shekels and eat them <laughs> Moise, when we when you turn to these croatian fishermen and french fishermen and you were like but we need this little gland what, what was that like what, what? Well, look to really to be honest i wasn't in croatia they did this like you mentioned baruch and, and joel guber and they're the ones who went there so i can't i can't honestly answer that question because i don't know how they reacted but uh, i imagine I imagine that they were happy to get the business and also keep the meat. Moisa, we're finishing off. There's a big group of people coming. Even I recognize some people here, uh, former classmates of mine. Uh, they're all coming to uh, to uh, to do the next tour with you. Right. You do this every year. You come out. You stay out here. This is not your profession. No. This is a this is a hobby, a love of yours, a passion of yours. Correct. You're something. You're part of it. And the organization is called the Association for the Promotion and Distribution of Tchelet. Tchelet T E K H E L E T dot com. All right. And I'm I'm really honored to be part of it. Thank you so much Thank for a wonderful tour today. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, the renewal of the Jewish people uh, through the Tchelet, through the True Blue Jew. Uh, magic, amazing dye. And uh, I can't explain it to you exactly. There's something incredibly joyous about it. I, I think it's just because it's really re- living and wearing revelation. And that can be found at Tchelet, T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T, Tchelet.com. I also want to mention maybe another sponsor of our show, Certainly, hebronfund.org. Come visit the mothers and fathers. That's where I get to work every day. What an honor, what a pleasure. And it would be an honor and a pleasure to see you there as well. So that's hebronfund.org. We have uh, English tours at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, with the fabulous and amazing Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum. You're going to love it. And I pop in sometimes for a cameo and would love to see you. Also, uh, if you're looking for property in, in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, 
uh, but are looking for something more affordable, maybe out of the way a little bit, check out uh, check out North Israel, northisrael.com forward slash Yishai. That's right, northisrael.com forward slash Yishai. And uh, if you go visit it, they're going to take you out for lunch. Um, if you tell them that you're a listener to, of the Yishai Fleischer Show, and they're good friends, I trust them a lot. And uh, you know, real estate is a tricky business, and yet, and yet, one that is a real blessing. You get your house in the land of Israel, your land, and there's no other feeling like that. Yes, it's not easy to purchase land in the land of Israel. Our rabbis tell us that Eretz Yisrael Niknet Beisurin, the land of Israel, is acquired through hardships, but you get through it. And then there's it's it's like a it's like birth, you know. The birth itself is not so easy, and raising kids is not easy. But then it's one of the most incredible things in the world, and and that's uh, what purchasing land and land of Israel is. So that's northisrael.com forward slash Yishai. This next segment is one that I recorded all the way in 2013, and this is of uh, we talked about this before. This is of uh, Mike Bernath, who passed away this year. He's a Holocaust survivor, an Auschwitz survivor, with a number on his arm, and you're gonna hear his voice. Uh, today on Israel Holocaust Memorial Day, um, and uh, it's exactly the people that, that you've heard about. Here's a survivor who made it out, made it strong, stayed strong, uh, and really gave birth to the next generation. We can only be so thankful to them, and we can also we can only be uh, mournful of those uh, souls who perished in the horrific crime of the Holocaust. The, all those forces that wanted to stop the Jewish people from flourishing uh, as they will anyway uh, after this Holocaust that we've endured. But um, Mike Bernath is a legend. He's a legend in our family. And I'm happy that you're getting a chance to hear his voice today. Grandpa Mike, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Well, what is it like to, to turn 90 uh, after all the, the things that you've seen and now to see also your great-grandson and to have all your family come and visit you here in Florida? Well, uh, I be actually my birthday is uh, Valentine's Day, February fourteenth. I I was born nineteen twenty three, so I be ninety years old. So it's my pleasure to have my grandchild and my great grandchildren joining me. This uh, awfully. Interesting, uh, interesting birthday, so to say. To tell you the truth, I never had a birthday party, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so this is my first, supposed to be my first birthday party at my ninety years uh, of age, but nevertheless, I am happy to be still here. And enjoy the company of my the very few, which uh, I appreciate. Uh, you're talking about my past uh, uh, history. Is 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 a, a large volume of books, which I have written. Many books. The first one, matter of fact, I've, uh, I, I, I written, I was 66 years old, my first book. And in 20 years, I finished 30 of my book from, uh, from poetry, 
which interestingly I have written eight books of poetry, 1,000 pages of poems and poetry, which is quite a few. And I know a lot of people didn't write as many. Besides, I only finished elementary school in in my birthplace in Hungary because uh, the Germans and Hungarian uh, Jew lovers didn't, didn't, didn't like Jews to go to school. So naturally, I, uh, I learned a trade. I, I became a furrier. So I became a furrier, and uh, I worked in Budapest, in Mishkots, and uh, till uh, the deportation uh, in 1944. That time I was... Uh, 21 years old. They, my parents, my whole family uh, killed during the Holocaust. How many, tell me about your family. How many were you, where did you live? I, I lived in in Hungary in Sixo, about 16 kilometers from the town of Mishkolz. And uh, I, uh, my father was a shoemaker. He wasn't a rich man at all. And he had nine boys, my parents and my father, my, my mother and my father, nine boys and three girls, altogether 12. Now, I am the only one who's still alive. The rest of them died through, through the Holocaust, or they were, some of them, uh, they were very, very young, a few months old, uh, in the 1800s. Because my, my, my parents, I remember, uh, they told me, my father told me, they were married 18 95 and uh, my brother Shandor or Alex they call it in English he was uh, he was born 1899 and uh, so nevertheless uh, I'm still here and I uh, give you a testament of my family, of my friends, and my neighbors who surrounded me all my life. I was a parents-loving child all my life. My poor mother raised 12 children. She was poor. Like all the, our family, they were poor. But nevertheless, uh, who wants to complain? Nobody listened, you know. Till uh, after the Holocaust, my sister Magda and I came back, and luckily my girl, little girl I used to know, I used to love uh, 
She was my first love uh, in my life. She was 16, and uh, and I was uh, 20. Around. And she left. Uh, she took her to the to the concentration camp, and so was I. But uh, I luckily escaped for a time being from the concentration camp, and I joined the British American intelligence. Here they called it uh, the extraordinary people, you know. My job was to teach me the uh, American British to be a saboteur behind the line. So our job was to blow up railroad tracks and bridges to slow down the supply lines. They call it here, the other people, they used to call it partisans. This side you know, of Europe, they call it saboteurs, the same, same thing. And we used to do a lot of goods uh, for the for the British American intelligence uh, and to ourselves. But nevertheless, the, the Russian army approached the Hungarian border in the east, and we have to break up our, our uh, organization, and we joined uh, our units, the Hungarian units, where we took a, took us out to the concentration camp in uh, Austria, Schachendorf, where I was uh, without food, not only me, but everybody else. They were dying without food, dying without water. Then there was no food. You've been uh, 20s and younger. So, God forbid you ever seen such a chorus such a terrible, terrible things what people could do other people. And we were Jews. So what? Because I was born to the Jewish parents. See, you see, the, the, the biggest problem in, in history by the Christians they send their kids to Sunday schools and they teach them their little kids, six, seven years old, eight years old, nine years old. They teach them the Jews killed Jesus and the kids never forget. Grandpa Mike, I want to ask you about... Uh about the the deportation, 1944. I want you to give me a little bit of a description about that. And then I want you to tell me the story about uh, that you've told me many times about how the Russians rescued you. First, tell me about the deportation. 
The deportation, uh, it was for every Jew in sight. If he wasn't at, in sight, they used to give him a pangu, which is uh, was 20 cents in Hungarian money. If you catch a, a Jew, dead or alive, and there were thousands upon thousands of Jewish people was hiding in the forest, whatever they could. But this vigilantes, what they call them, they had dogs, and they were trying to catch as many Jews they could because they got 20 cents each. So naturally, uh, that time was a lot of money. And uh, we surrendered at time to our units. And they took us right away out to the concentration camp. Which camp did you end up in? The camp name was Schachendorf. Schachendorf in Austria. Where their zeal had, had to be. No Jew alive. They didn't give us food as long as we were there. I remember my eyes had sunk into my head and my teeth, front teeth, protruding forward. I used to be 135 pounds in a good old age. I went down maybe 70 pounds. I was skin and bone. And you had seen the most dramatic scenery you would ever see in your life when people they, 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 they were they were they were trying to straighten up but they had no strength from the hunger. They were so hungry and nobody gives them a morsel bread uh, a little water and they were just dying by the thousands of thousands of of young people tell me about the russians and how they rescued the russians, you the russian soldiers i i my life not dependent on them, but if not the Russians, soldiers, I wouldn't be here. I was, I remember, they left me in the lager in the, the camp because the, uh, they thought I was a dead, I was dead already. Because otherwise they would put the bayonet into me. But I was, I was unconscious. And they left me dead. But I wasn't dead. I woke up. 
and uh, start walking backward and I met a Russian soldier and he said to me Du bist a Juden? Are you a Jew? I said, Jawohl. I said, German. Jawohl. Yes, yes, sir. You know. So he started crying. He said, Shma Israel. He said, Ich bin auch a Jew. I, I am myself a Jew. I don't know from where he got a, a carriage and a horse and carriage. And he told the driver, the Ru a Russian soldier, to take this man to a nearest uh, hospital or whatever you can find. And he was going... I was from the borderline of Hungarian and 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 and, and uh, Austrian border about twenty five thirty mile, thirty kilometers, and he took me without stopping. He took me to the field hospital, so so Without him, I will never be here today, or or 50 years from, uh, be, uh, before. You went to a field hospital, you got better there, and did you go back to Hungary? I got some food. But good thing I, could, I didn't eat much, because otherwise I would have died because of, of my condition. But you'd see the people by the thousand laying on the ground. They were dead and dying. You got some strength back, and did you did you start heading back to Hungary immediately? Well, I, I start, uh, you know, going back uh, to Hungary, where I uh, with one with one survivor, and uh, in those days you have no train and uh, no transportation, so nevertheless. It took days, but we, we reached, uh, reached Budapest, where from there I got home. I didn't find anybody in my family. They, they, they all gone, mother, father, brothers, sisters, cousins, uh, grandfathers, uh, 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 aunts, uncles, the old, old died, disappeared, so never came back, never. But your sister Magda? One sister Magda survived, came back about four or five months later from Germany, and I was lucky I had two brothers that came to America before the war in 1932 and 1938. So, but still I... I I uh, I didn't it couldn't help me because the war was still going on. So we went to from Hungary to Germany to a refugee camp. Wait wait wait! Did you meet Grandma Kate there in Hungary? I, I she came back by by chance 
So we got engaged and became uh, wait this is this is this is this is the part that I want you to explain to me you just came back from uh, from being on the brink of death many times over you meet back in six I guess and then what you decide to get engaged right away how does that work no, 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 right away. Uh, about six months later her brother came home also but she was that time she was 18 and I was 22, 22. and uh, we decided that from Germany we could maybe we could reach America. So we we running through the borders, the woods, and then they could have shoot us any time. But we were lucky, and we arrived to we uh, arrived to Germany. And I became, I, I was a, first I was a Holzarbeiter, uh, uh, wood. We used to cut woods in a Schwarzwald, you know, a lumberjack. And, uh, and from there, it was too hard uh, job. I joined the police force in, in, uh, in, in Germany. I was I went to Stuttgart Police Academy, and I became a policeman. I still getting pension uh, after, after 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 my ordeal, but uh, nevertheless. So you became uh, you became a police officer. You were in the DP camp, and that's when you had your first son, your son Alex, right? Right. That's Malka's dad. Yeah, uh, my first son born in 1947 in Günzburg, Germany. And uh, matter of fact, Mengele, he was born in Gunzburg uh, himself, in the famous uh, Jew killer, you know, Mengele. I became to America in 1949. And I tell you something, I became one of the best dishwashers in the Bronx. And, and so, is, so was my wife. So... So, I always, that makes me laugh. And tell you the truth, for 43 years, I was washing dishes, you know. I was a restaurant business, uh, 43 years. So, so now, God bless America. One of the things that you're also very famous for is, and my, Malka always talks about this, is that, and you mentioned it yourself, is that when, when a hungry person would come into your luncheonette, which you owned, uh, you always fed them. Tell me about that. Anytime a hungry man came into my, my luncheonette and he said to me, Mr., I have no money. Can you give me something to eat? He was served the f- right of it. Before anybody else, but I know what's a hungry man wants. He wants to eat, and and still, oh, the, uh, somebody would tell me, "I, Mister, I'm hungry." I would take my shirt off and give him, because I know the chores, what they have to go through. And another love of your life. Uh uh, other than washing dishes and Grandma Kate, of course, is also astronomy, and you even lectured about astronomy? I, I used to lecture astronomy 
uh, I was invited guest lecturer in the College of New Rochelle. I have I've written book about astronomy. I learned everything from uh, from my own own way. I, uh, and uh, I used to lecture in uh, about the Holocaust, all the parochial schools in, in New York State and even uh, uh, Texas. I used to lecture astro- uh, about the Holocaust. Uh, um, and uh, no, no, no. time flies by, regardless what 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 you do, you know that. Uh, well, time flies, and now you're 90 years old, and we're all here to celebrate that. Give me one last thought about uh, about your family coming together to celebrate your life. What what you think this means for you, for us? I have I have my family comes together. Not too many family left, but whatever they, uh, is left over, they they be here. And celebrate with me the, my first and only birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're 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 just uh, have the greatest merit to be here with you here in Florida, and I hope folks that you enjoyed hearing from Mike Bernath, uh, a Jewish survivor, a Jewish hero, and uh, the next generation owes them everything for their survival. Yes, matter, matter of fact, uh, don't forget to tell the the people that. Michael Burnett is the the Kiddush, he became a Kiddush Hashem, the highest honor from the land of Israel, because in a time of problems, trouble, the Holocaust, the commandant came out and says to me, you best at Jews, you want to survive or you want to die? So uh, it was a small camp. It was 2,500 2, uh, people, most of them bochers with chitters and, and, and pious and uh, yamaka. And they jumped out. They stayed in line. They went to, went to church. They wanted to save their life. And I was, all my life was a shagets, shagets, whatever you call them. I said, I, would, I said I would rather die than and, uh, than change my religion to Christian to the Christian faith. So nothing happened. They all went to the the church and came back with with uh, goose steps, and they they were uh, showing they 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 became a Christian. They be, they got the white armband instead of yellow armband. But 30 years later, I went to Israel in the Yad Vashem. In middle of the Yad Vashem, I see the monument dedicated for, the, for, for those who in the, the all, all the problems, in the, the face of death, refuse conversion. And that's what I did, refuse conversion. I didn't think of it that time. And I have written letters to the to uh, uh, the Israel Prime Minister, uh, Haim Herzog, and Benjamin, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister. They wrote back to me, they forwarded uh, to my letter to the Yad Vashem. And about 20 years later, passed by, it was 50 years passed by, finally the, 
the Holocaust survivors, the, the Yad Vashem, sent me the most beautiful letters, the most, the, and, and, and the, the, appreci the appreciation. I became a Kiddush Hashem. Kodosh, Kodosh, Kodosh. You know what Kodosh, Kodosh means? Well, here you are. So, 1995 became a Kiddush Hashem. So, how many Kiddush Hashem do you know around here? Not many, not many. And I really want to thank you for your time, Grandpa Mike. And again, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us here in the 90th birthday here in West Palm Beach. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed Mike Bernath. God bless his rest of soul. God bless his soul. An amazing man, and he, he's no longer with us. But I'm glad that his voice is, and it's just, uh, it's really an honor for me to be able to broadcast his voice to you. So thank you uh, for listening, and thank you very much for being part of the show. Uh, don't forget to visit some of our sponsors, like Janglo.net, which is the superhighway for information in the land of Israel. And our good friends at Jay Brick, uh, who make great uh, Jewish Lego. Jewish Lego, what a great combination. Uh, you know, you could do anything out of Lego, but can you build the temple? Can you can you build the Seder plate? Can you build all these things? That's where jbrick.com comes in, uh, into the story. I want to thank also my good friends Ben Bresky, Moshe Herman, and Tabitha for really producing and making the show happen to the world. Thank you very much to the Land of Israel Network. Support the Land of Israel Network by going to thelandofisrael.com with a the, thelandofisrael.com. Check out our other shows. Hit the support button. We appreciate it very, very much. Also, feel free to support the Ishai Fleischer Show. Dedicate a show. Don't forget to dedicate a show to a loved one. It's really easy. Uh, you know, just put in de a dedication into the uh, into the form, and uh, I'll, I'll be reading it next week. I'll be dedicating a show next week. Oh, and one last piece of information, which is so important, which is that I'm heading to Australia. I'm heading to Australia in less than a month. If you're from Australia, if you want to see me in Australia, or if you're, by the way, from Hong Kong, because I have like 10 hours in Hong Kong, then I can't wait to hear from you and see you out down under. I'm, I'm going up. I'm, I'm going down under to make Aliyah. I'm going down to go up. It's called in Hebrew. And I'm very excited uh, to head out to uh, Australia and to see and connect with all the good people there. Usually we hold hands across the Atlantic. Now we're holding hands across the South Pacific and the Pacific Rim. God bless you folks wherever you are. Happy... Happy period of, of, of counting right now, 50 days, uh, and getting closer to the receiving of the Torah at Sinai on Shavuot. And may this uh, Holocaust Memorial Day be a powerful one, a memorable one, a memorial one where we remember, where we, where we get angry at who we're supposed to be angry at, where we thank God for the miracles of, of pulling us out of this, where we thank God for the period that we are living in, where we promise those souls that perished, those bodies that perished, that their souls will not perish and their mission will not be forgotten and we'll continue to push it forward. We're going to do it with your help. We're going to push back on the bad guys, right? We're going to push back on the Hamases and the haters and all the bad folks. We're not going to let them do it. We're not going to let them beat us. If they didn't beat us in the Holocaust, they certainly are not going to beat us now. Okay, folks, we're going to, you know, and we're going to keep that. We're going to keep the, the, the bitterness of the Holocaust and the smile of, of, of redemption that we're living in. Thank you for being with me. Stay tuned. Stay connected. Write me an email, yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. Be part of the story. and Keep broadcasting to the world. Be part of it wherever you are. God bless you and shalom.